Hey, it's Carl Bastian, and I'm back. Yes, after a long season of not doing any podcasts, been busy doing lots of other awesome things, including working at a church for a year as a children's pastor, but I am back full-time with Kidology, and that should mean more podcasts. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who's emailed and tweeted and and, uh, reached out to me on Facebook and, and bugged me to get back to the podcast. So this is podcast number 85, and our topic today is going to be a little different. I'm taking a slight shift from children's ministry, and this is kind of a podcast for parents, all right? It's called Kidman in the Home. So wherever you're doing, if you're um, at a coffee shop, if you're driving, if you're in the office or at home, this is one for you if you're a parent, all right? So let's talk Kidman in the Home. You know, I've been saying for years to people, when I meet someone in children's ministry, I don't ask them the size of their ministry. And it doesn't bug me in like a bad way, like I'm offended or anything, but but it bugs me in the sense that whenever I'm talking to other people in children's ministry, one of the first things they ask is, how big is your ministry? As though that is the measure of a ministry. And it isn't. I know people who have been at big churches with big numbers and they're really not doing that great a job. Maybe they're just surviving. Psalm 69, you know, their nose is above the water because their ministry is so large. And then I've, I know people, I know great children's pastors, directors uh, who are at small churches. And yeah, they might have 50 kids, might have 20 kids, 100 kids. And yet they're doing a phenomenal job. And so size of ministry is not that important. Now, granted, if we're doing a good job, we should see growth, not only in character, but we should see numerical growth. But that's not the number one way that we measure a ministry. So one of the things that I started doing is that when people would ask me, hey, how many people are are in your children's ministry? I would tell them one. (laughs) They kind of look at me funny. I'd say his name is Luke. Because my most important children's ministry is in my home. It's not in the church. And too often in ministry, you've heard the stories. I mean, they joke about children's pastors, PKs, either are totally on fire for God or they go the totally other direction. I think you know some of the nefarious characters in our culture. I'm not even going to say their names, but who you're shocked to find out they're preacher's kids. Because somewhere along the line, their parents and their passion for God and their passion for ministry and their passion for reaching out to others neglected the ministry right within their home. And that is our number one ministry. I have shared so many times over the years stories of those folks who I've admired who have even taken a break from ministry. In fact, if you watch the Kidology Online Train video, the first one called First Things First, I tell an incredible story about a children's pastor friend of mine named Lenny and the journey that God took him on. And he shared that with me at a point in my life when when I was just burning out and stressed out and doing too much and had to make some life adjustments. In fact, part of the reason that I have stepped out of the church ministry that I've been at the last year that I've totally loved, awesome church, 
is because of the distance and because of the strain that it's put on my family. And so um, I stepped down from that role, and I'm actually uh, pretty excited about a church plant in the area. We've only been going there for a number of weeks, and so um, we're not totally all in. In fact, I did my background check today to start helping out in the kids' ministry, but so excited to be plugging into a church close to home um, so that I can be home more, be available more to my son, because my number one priority is my home. It's my walk with God, my marriage, and my kid, and my ministry comes after that. In fact, I'll link in the show notes a blog post that I share often with guys, uh, not just a blog post or just a story, called No More Making Time for Family. And uh, you'll just have to read that. It's a, it's a pretty cool way, a fresh way, a new way of looking at the importance of family. In a nutshell, I don't make time for my family anymore. In fact, those words to me are red flag. Family's my life, and so I make time for ministry. And so that's why I say I no longer make time for my family. I make time for ministry. Well, you know, often when I get a chance to talk to parents, especially the parents in my church, I ask them this question. And I want to ask you that question. It's a question I ask myself as well all the time. Fast forward to the future. All right, your kids moving out. They're going off to college. You're basically done raising them, and they're going to be on their own. Now, you're never totally done. I, uh, My mom's with the Lord, but I still call my dad for advice, and, and he's still a mentor and a coach to me. But pretty much when I went off to Bible college, his parenting, his the raising of me was done. And when that time comes for your kids, what is going to be the most important to you at that time, right? I've got five choices here. A, is it going to be how smart they are? B, is it going to be how skilled they are? C, is it going to be how healthy they are? D, how socially adjusted they are, you know, they get along with people and all that. Or E, is it going to be how strong their faith is? Now, obviously, that's a that's a, a straw man argument, right? Because we, we know that E is the correct answer. We want our kids to be smart. We help them with their homework, and we want them to study, and we want them to be able to succeed in life. And we, we want them to have skills so that they can make a living and support their own families someday. Of course, we want them healthy, and it breaks our heart when kids go through health struggles. And some of my friends have gone through some incredible struggles um, with their kids. And you want them to be socially adjusted, right? You want them to know how to get along with people and how to make friends if your kid has leadership gifts, you want to see those leadership skills developed. But ultimately, the most important thing is going to be their walk with God. All right. So if E is the outcome that we would like, then the next question is, what is your plan or your strategy to make that dream a reality? See, when it comes to, to smarts, then we know we put them in a good school. We're so blessed to have a great Christian school in our area. And Luke loves his school. And we love it. He's got Bible verses and, and, and the biblical context of every subject they're learning. We go to their um, musicals and their special programs they do. And, and I sometimes just crying, not because the program's that great, although they are, but just like, wow, what an experience. I love the patriotic one they do every year. And I think, man, he's learning to love our country and he's appreciating the the Christian heritage that we have. So there's a strategy and a plan to help my kid be as smart as, as he's capable 
of being, all right? They pick the spelling words and the math and, and all those things. I'm so glad. And when it comes to their skills, you know, I work with my kid. I taught him how to ride a bike. I try to help them with sports. Some people put their kids on a sports team or, or get them in band or help them uh, have the life experiences. They can be more skilled. Healthy, right? Yeah, not so much pirate booty, okay? It, if you don't know what pirate booty is, it's like these air balls. My son loves them. Right? It's a terrible name. It sounds like a pirate's rear end, but it's pirate's booty as in, you know, their their loot. But anyway, or Sour Patch Kids or all the things he likes. But, you know, we try to make sure, you know, we, we, we have a minimum of the soda drinking. He'd drink Coke all day long if we let him. All right? We have a plan and a strategy. We take him to the doctor. We take him to the dentist, right? Socially adjusted, man, we create social environments. And we have birthday parties. And we go to birthday parties. And we have play dates. And we do all those things. Well, if we have a plan and a strategy for all these important areas of parenting, then we have to have that in the spiritual realm. But too often, parents neglect that. They think it's just going to happen haphazardly just by them through osmosis, you know, by doing bedtime prayers and reading Bible stories once in a while or just being in a Christian home or taking them to church, right? As children's ministers, we get annoyed at parents who want us to turn their kids into mature disciples of Jesus. Like you bring them to church and we're always saying, hey, I can't do this in an hour a week. I love D6, how they have that whole one slash 168th, you know, one hour out of 168 hours a week, the church can't do it. Well, if we get annoyed at parents expecting us as children's ministry leaders to somehow miraculously in an hour or two a week, make their kid a devout follower of Christ. Well, are we guilty of that ourselves? Relying too much on the church? For me, relying too much on the Christian school. So we have to have a strategy. And the most effective way to influence your kids is to be close relationally. You can care for, provide for, protect, correct, and educate. But to influence the heart and the character requires a close relationship. And so you've got to have a plan and a strategy to get close with your kids and to pour into them the things that you believe they need to know. So it's more than just Christian music and Bible stories and it's intentional spiritual conversations. So how do you connect with your kid's heart? All right. Well, hey, you know I love acronyms. I use them all the time on the podcast. So I have an acronym for the word heart. So if you're in a place where you can take notes, you can just write the word heart, H-E-A-R-T, right down the left side of your piece of paper. And because it's going to cover, these five are going to cover the physical, the verbal, the emotional, the social, and the mental aspects of connecting with your kid's heart. All right. The H is an easy one. All right. Hug them. All right, you know the old bumper stickers we used to see for a while? I don't see them as much anymore. Have you hugged your kid today? You know, kids need that physical affection. They need to know that you love them. I'm so delighted that my fourth grader, who just became a fourth grader, still wants to give me a kiss goodbye and, and a hug, even in front of his friends. I know that won't last much longer, but it's because we have this affectionate home, and we're always hugging and cuddling and, and just having a great time and just letting them know through that... Um, affirmative touch that you love them and they're important. You know, there's an old classic book, The Five Love Languages, right? I'm blanking at the moment who who wrote that. Gary Smalley, I think. And one of them is the power of 
of touch and of course appropriate touch in children's ministry we're always talking about that and you got to be appropriate i guess with your kids but sometimes in that fear to you know whatever we we pull back too much and we need to love on our kids so be affectionate right don't underestimate the power of affection just your kids sitting on your lap and watching a movie with with your arm around them and and uh, i tend to be so affectionate my kid Luke, Luke has this phrase where he says, Dad, you're roasting me because <laughs> I'm, I'm hugging him too tight or whatever. So I'm always saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to roast you. <laughs> I was just trying to give you a hug. So, but, but we need that. And it's so important. And there needs to be some of that every day so that it's not just our words, but it's, it's our actions and just how we relate to them. Now, the E is encourage them. All right. And you know what the word encourage means? It comes from to give courage all right so we're so often as parents pointing out what kids did wrong what they didn't do like my son is incapable of closing the garage door loves to leave the garage just open for the world to see all the mess and all the stuff in there and i'm like close the garage door you know we're picking up his legos or whatever i mean you if you've got kids you know you're always correcting them and they can begin to feel like they can't do anything right and so start looking for Ways you can encourage them. Say, that's a great job. You can do that. You can do better. In fact, um, once in a while when Luke actually does close the garage door, um, I, I dramatically faint. He loves making me faint because when he does something that he, he knows I'm always harping about, him, harping about um, then I do this big dramatic faint. And he's like, Dad, you didn't faint. I closed the garage door. But just encourage him, pour into him, point out their good traits, compliment them when you see them do something right or just something mature or something thoughtful or kind um comment on it affirm that you know you know the old thing in marriage where they say there's this checking account and every time you do something bad it's a withdrawal um and if you do too many withdrawals you know the marriage gets tense so you got to be making deposits all the time that principle applies to kids you need to deposit so much positive so that when there's withdrawals through correction or discipline or whatever, um, that the balance never goes negative. That there's so much to good and encouragement deposited into them that when you have to make those withdrawals, which you have to do, that's part of being a parent, all right? Be the parent, you know, address those things, but, but that there's always a positive balance in your kid's heart account, all right? All right, so hug them, encourage them. The A is accept them. All right, let your kids be who God made them to be. Now, Luke is very different than me in in a lot of ways. And part of my journey as a dad is figuring out how to raise a kid who is not like I was as a kid. All right, I was, I had leadership just eking out of me. I mean, I was always the kid in charge, making up the rules, inventing games, you know, being dramatic. And that's not my son. Now he's much more empathetic and caring and sensitive and notices things that, that I was just, you know, I just didn't have a clue the kid next to me sat, you know, uh, we had a lady at church at our new church we're visiting, just call me uh, while we were talking. And she said, you know, I was so impressed with your son. I, I met him and, and she's pregnant. And he said, Oh, you're pregnant. How many kids do you have? And she said, I was just so impressed. And never had a kid asked me a question about my family usually kids are pretty self-focused, and uh, I would have I would have done that as a kid. I, I I don't know what I would have done, but um, but that's so 
I let them know that. I said, hey, that lady was really impressed with your maturity and your thoughtfulness. And you were thinking about her family. And he was in line in an ice cream truck. He could have, they had an ice cream truck for all the kids that Sunday. It was amazing. Free ice cream, ice cream truck right outside the church. And uh, he could have just been totally focused on his ice cream. Um, but he was thoughtful. So accept who they are. You know that that verse, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it, right? Well, that verse is amazing. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm going to put this right here, so I'm not even going to stop. Train up a child. There it is, right there in Google. Yes, it's found in Proverbs 22, verse 6. That verse is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible, because a lot of parents believe that that verse means if you do a good job as a parent, your kid's not going to stray. You train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. So when the kid does depart, they think, they somehow are a failure as a parent because their kid straight. That's not what that verse is about. Your kid's got a free will. You could be perfect parents and your kid could choose to go their own way. Ultimately, they're responsible before God for their sin and, and for their choices. So what does that verse mean if it's not a promise your kid's going to be this awesome Christian because you were such an awesome parent? If you go into the Hebrew... The train up a child the way he should go. The the Greek word for should there is according to their bent. All right. So see what that verse is saying is if you train up a kid according to his bent, according to the way that God made him and wired him when he's old, he will not depart from that. All right. To use a, a an extreme um, classic example. All right, you got this lawyer dad, successful lawyer. He's a senior partner in his firm, and he wants his kid to follow in his ways as a lawyer. And the kid's just not that kind of person. He's poetic. He's he does loves instruments. He loves interpretive dance. Maybe I don't know. I'm glad my kid's not in interpretive dance, but maybe maybe he is. And the dad's like, no, I don't want you doing all this artsy fartsy stuff. I want you to be a lawyer, man. I'm going to give you the corner off as soon as you pass your bar exam and that dad could push the boy that way he could pay for his college he could get him coaches he could get him an internship at a great law firm he could offer them that junior partnership faster than any other lawyer in his firm ever had a chance to and the kid may go along with it but you know what that's not his bent he eventually is good there's going to be conflict with dad he's going to break from that he's going to quit the high paying job and he's going to go be an actor or go into puppetry or become a poet, whatever. He's going to go do what God made him and wired him to do. So my job as a dad is not to try and make my kid like me. No, I think that'd be pretty cool. I need to make him who God designed him to be. And so I'm studying my son from the youngest age. But what's his interest? What's he good at? What's he strong at? What can I do to foster that and encourage that? Because if I raise him up according to the way God designed him, he will never depart from it. My parents were so good at this. I was a kid. I was probably ADHD, WXYZ. I mean, they didn't have labels and letters and numbers and medication, but I was all over the place. My mom called it unbridled enthusiasm. And I remember how many times she would just grab my head. It was the best way to get me to look at her. And she'd have her hands on the side of my face and she'd look at me and she'd say, Carl, God made you awesome. Now, this is often after I got in trouble. God made you awesome. And he has a plan for your life. And when you figure out how to channel all this creativity and energy in one direction, watch out world. That's what I heard my mom say 
all the time. In fact, it makes me sad that my mom passed away right about the time that Kidology started because this has become the outlet for me to use my creativity and and all the gifts that I have and to have an impact literally all over the world. We have over 20,000 people a day on this website in over 70 countries downloading resources and videos and and stuff. And it's like my mom saw that in this little kid that got, got in trouble in church because I would take my action figures and I'd be acting out the Bible story with my Star Wars figures and I'd get in trouble. They'd take my Star Wars figures away. They had no idea that someday there'd be a website called toyboxtales.com with almost a hundred Bible stories and parables done with action figures. I used to change the words of the songs. We'd be singing Jesus loves all the children of the world. Remember that one? And I'd be singing Jesus loves all the chickens of the world. And me and my buddy Andy, we'd be giggling and laughing. And I'd get in trouble for being sacrilegious and disrespectful. And now, as a children's pastor, my puppets do those very things. He sings about the chickens of the world and the babies of the world and the old people of the world. So I was just a kid's pastor in this little body back when kid's pastors didn't even exist. There were CE directors. That was it. And But God knew that. My mom knew that without knowing exactly how. And your kid is wired for something amazing. And your job is to accept that and embrace that. All right, so hug them, encourage them, accept them for just who they are and embrace it and encourage it and foster it and pour into it and invest in it. And then we get to the letter R and that's relate to them. Well, duh, right? Well, you remember the Cats in the Cradle? (laughs) You know that song? If you don't know those Cats in the Cradle, just Google it on YouTube. There's a bunch of videos out there. And it's basically the story of a kid who's always asking for his dad's time. And dad says, you know, not right now, son, but we'll we'll get together then. We'll have a great time then. And then, of course, the tables turn as he gets older. And, you know, I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. So I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find a time. But the new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. Well, it's been sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, my son was just like me. All right? That dad did not have time. And later when he had time, I wanted his kid to have time. His kid didn't have time. It's a great song. It's a tearjerker. To this day, I still can't listen to that song without crying, even, even though I had a great dad and I'm trying to be a great dad. But, you know, what's funny about that song is I learned that in Glee Club in sixth grade. It was just part of our music program. And I loved it. I love ballads. I love songs that are stories. And so I was at home. I was singing that song atop my lungs. And I was too young to really get the the meaning of the song. And so I'm just singing it. And um, what I didn't know is it was hurting my dad's feelings. He would hear me singing this song and he thought I was trying to hint or something. And uh, finally, my mom's like, why do you keep singing that song? And I was like, well, because I'm, I'm learning it at school. And she's like, well, your dad feels like you're complacent. So I had to go tell my dad, dad, no, you're a great dad. It's just a song, you know. And um, so that was pretty funny. But we got to spend time with our kids. I mean, that you've, you've heard it said, love is best spelled T-I-M-E. And so you've got to relate to them. And how do you relate with them? Well, it's like kidology. I'm always talking about the word kidology comes from the study of kids and relational ministry within the context of the culture of kids. Well, duh, it's what you do in your home. So what's your kid into? That's why I run a Minecraft realm because my kids into Minecraft and we play Minecraft together. All right. Well, last weekend we went to Lego Fest. Now, okay. I would have gone without my son because I love Legos, but 
It's something that we do together. Luke loves when we do, you know, uh, daddy-son outings. In fact, sometimes mom gets hurt because he'll say, Mom, we don't want you to come. We want this to be a daddy-son out. I'm like, no, no, no. Um, but he values those times. And Sarah gets it. She's like, yeah, go have a daddy-son time. Um, I would love some quiet time. Um, so uh, so she's okay with that. But you got to relate to them. You've got to... When they get home from school, you got to stop, ask them about their day. You got to spend that time at bedtime. You got to go for bike rides. You got to do that stuff. In fact, um, I'm not very active on it anymore. Uh, but a few years ago, some people encouraged me to to, to kind of do a little more with this whole dad stuff. So I started a website called BeTheDadToday.com. There's no a lot of recent posts there, but there's a Facebook page. And, and it was an effort that I did for a little while. Uh, and I post things there every now and then. Just encouraging dads, especially, um, to be the dad today. All right, Because today is what's important. Not tomorrow, not next week, not vacation next summer, not Christmas break, but today. And to make an effort every day to relate to your kid. All right. Whether it's, you know, going for a walk with the dog, whether it's sitting out in the grass in the front yard, you know, the old, you know, throwing a ball around, whatever it is. But when you relate to your kids, that's where relationship comes from. And it's out of relationship that you're able to talk about God and talk about um, things that are going on in your life and then pull it back to the Bible and have those intentional um, spiritually guided conversation. So you got to hug them, encourage them, accept them, relate to them every day. Be the dad today. Be the mom today. All right. And then lastly is train them. All right. Take the time to actually teach them how to look up a Bible verse, answer their questions. Training involves practice. You know, if you have a kid that's having a hard time getting up in the morning, getting ready, well, you know what? You train them. And so one day after school, you say, you know what, we're going to practice getting ready in the morning. So get your pajamas on and get in bed, and, and we're going to time you. We're going to have fun and have them get up, get dressed, brush their hair, brush their teeth, come down, sit at the breakfast table, you know, be all ready for school. When they're all done, say, okay, that was great. That took you 12 minutes. I think we can get it down to 10 minutes. And then say, go put your pajamas back on. And you can do this over and over again. And after a, first it's fun. Then they start to get you know frustrated. And then you say, no, well, we're practicing. Well, and the, well, if you don't want to keep being trained, then uh, tomorrow morning, man, let's get it done in 15 minutes. That's three minutes longer than your, than your first time today. But that's just training in, in that area of life. But training, intentional training, is what is needed. In, in chores, in homework, in in how to apologize to someone, how to talk to someone. You know, I had a we had a little boy, a good friend of Luke's, uh, several years ago. It was a littler guy than Luke, um, but he was older, and he had a bunch of older brothers. So I think he was used to being the youngest guy and getting picked on, and so he just would clobber Luke all the time, just punch him. And Luke's not a fighter, and would just kind of forgive him. And we finally, I had to train him. I said, you need to say then. You know, I'm not gonna. I don't want to say the boy's name, but hey, you can't hit me. The next time you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. <laughs> and uh, the kid kind of looked at him, and then a couple days went by, and he tried it. And I told Luke, give him, give him two warnings. So Luke did it again, and the kid hit him again. So Luke hit him back. Well, Luke's a little bigger, and he didn't hit all that hard. But the kid ran home in tears. Well, Dad shows up, and we're like, oh, it's the dads, you know. And I explained to the dad, I said, you know, I trained my son to give him two warnings. Do not hit me. I do not want to be hit. If you hit me again, I'm going to hit you back. And the dad turned to his little son and said, did he warn you twice? Yeah. Well, 
then you need to stop hitting. But, you know, it's all about training. You know, I remember as a young, young boy, not me, Luke, we would we were at a McDonald's Playhouse, and he must have been two years old or something. And when we got time to go, he started crying, screaming. You've seen that scene, right? And I know every kid's different, and this wouldn't, doesn't necessarily work with every kid, but I sat Luke down, and I just said, hey, we are not going to leave fun outings with you crying. I said, because that's going to discourage me from doing it again. So here's how we're going to end times at a play place. When it's time to go, you're going to say, thank you, Dad, for bringing me. And I said, you can be sad, you can be disappointed, but you're not going to scream and have a fit. Um, We're just not going to do that. And so I trained him, and here's the proper response. And, And he said back to me, well, I don't like when you don't give me a warning. And I said, well, that's a good point. So here's what we'll do. I will give you a five-minute warning. And at the end of the five-minute warning, you can ask if I'll extend it. And I might. But if I don't, you'll say, well, thank you, Dad, for bringing me. Well, it, it was amazing. Every time we'd go out, I'd give him the warning. Sometimes I'd extend it. And sometimes, even through tears, he would say, thank you, Dad, for bringing me to the play place. You know? and, uh, but he wouldn't have this fit. you know, Because it's never... A sin. It's never wrong to have emotions. Kids can be sad. You can't tell your kid not to be sad. Because, you know, try that next time you're upset. Have someone tell you just to cut it out. You, you can't. It's an emotion. But the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. In the midst of our emotion, we can choose our actions. Well, the reason I tell you the story is because several, several years later, we're at a McDonald's play place, and, and I like to work remotely a lot. Luke wasn't in school yet, so... We're there. I've got my laptop. I'm working. We must have been there for a couple of hours. And then uh, before we were ready to go, this, this mom tells her two young boys it's time to go. And they go into meltdown. They go into screaming and temper tantrum. And, and I just thought, oh, dear, that poor lady. You know, I was just feeling for her. Well, my son walks up to these boys and says, hey, if you throw a fit before you leave, then your mom's not going to want to bring you next time. And they kind of looked at her, and he said, what you should be saying is, thank you for bringing me, Mom. Well, the mom's like, whoa, cool. Now, if I had offered that support, I probably would have been, she probably would have glared at me like, mind your own business. But this was like my little kindergarten kid. Then she turns to the mom and says, um, and it would probably help if you would give them a warning instead of just telling them right away. That's what me and my dad do. He gives me a warning, and then I thank him for bringing me. <laughs> I'm just sitting there. I wanted to disappear. I didn't know if she'd be mad or offended. But you know what? She received it. And she says, you know, that's a good idea. And said, all right, boys, you're going to have five more minutes. um, But only if you'll say thank you when we're done. And they did. It was amazing. But that's what training is. It's telling your kid, here's what the expectation is. Here's what I'll accept. Here's what I won't accept. And it's teaching them about life. Um, I remember my parents training me in communication. And one time, even as a teenager, I got mad at my parents. I forget now what it was over, but I was a teenager, right? And I got so mad, I just left the house. I got on my bike and I took off. But my parents had trained me about the importance of communication. And they teased me for years because I was still mad, but I called them from the mall, from a payphone back then, and said, hey, I'm still mad. I don't want to come home. I just wanted you to know I'm at the mall um, so you don't worry. And they said, thanks, appreciate that. And they've mentioned that to me for years, that even in the midst of being upset or angry, that their training had paid off because I knew to at least still communicate as an adult. But training doesn't happen by mistake. If you don't train intentionally, then you train 
uh, inadvertently, and it probably means they're going to pick up your bad habits and all the things that you don't do well. Um, because you are training, whether you do it intentional or not. You're training by example. So you want to uh, train intentionally. Um, I remember my dad even saying to me, hey, the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what that means is, hey, there's going to be times I'm not very Christ-like. Please don't imitate that. But when I am, I'm trying to show you what it means to live for Christ. All right? So your children's ministry is one, two, three, however many kids you have in your house. But next time someone says, hey, how big's your kid's ministry? Just give them the number of kids you have. But when they look confused, just answer by rattling off their names, because that is your primary children's ministry. If you're failing there, you ought to quit the church job, whether it's volunteer paid, and pour into your kids, because that is the most important thing. That's what I pray about the most. It's what I'm passionate about. It's what I worry about sometimes, and then I release it to God. But I want to be the best dad that I can be, because at the when that day comes... And he goes off to Bible college or technical school or whatever, because I don't know yet. I want to know, man, they've got he's got the faith that he needs to survive after this. And then I get to go into that mentoring coaching role like I have with my own father. And I can't wait. That's gonna be so exciting. Alright? So that's my challenge for you today to focus on your kidmen in the home and knock it out of the park. Well, thanks again for joining me here on Kidman Talk. And as always, remember, you can shape the show. If there's a topic you'd like me to address, let me know. Email me at carl at Kidman Talk, or tweet me at Kidman Talk, or at Kidologist, or send me a Facebook message. I would love to help you out. That's why I'm here, to equip and encourage you in your children's ministry, or even in your home. <laughs>